Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Peaceful Body Podcast. My name is Inez Bai and I'm the host of this podcast as well as a health and mindset coach. Today we have an interview, yay, with Anastasia McLean, who is the author or the owner of the Bipolar Diaries, which is a blog talking all about mental health and Anna's journey of getting diagnosed. I love this blog post. I think it's so informative and really transparent. And I know for me, having learned from other people's lived experience has really sparked my own exploration into my own mental health and given me the confidence to reach out for support because often we feel like things that we're struggling with are things that we're struggling with in isolation or we feel like we should be coping better or we feel like we're not that bad. So that's why I'm really excited to be bringing this conversation and this interview with Anna on the podcast today. We actually went to school together as well. So it was really awesome to catch up with her and see how she's going, how she's functioning and how she's actually found the diagnosis of bipolar to be really liberating. We talk about mental health, obviously, but we also talk about body image, our sexuality and just being able to ride the highs and lows of life. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, it would be awesome if you could leave a rating and review if you listen to the iTunes podcast app. It really helps to spread this message and this podcast to a wider audience, which I'm super keen to do always. I just want to help as many individuals as I can. Or you can take a screenshot of this episode and post it onto your Instagram stories and you can tag both me at Inez Bai on Instagram and also Anastasia McLean. Enjoy this episode and I'm always keen to hear your feedback. So let us know what you think and what I know you will inevitably learn too. Hello and welcome to the Peaceful Body Podcast. I am here with Anastasia McLean, who I actually went to school with and she popped up again on my radar very recently as she posted her blog post, which we'll introduce in a moment. But hi, Anna, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Yes, I'm really good. And I'm so excited to be uh, talking to you and finding out more about your journey. And like I was saying just before we got on to this recording, how much I always benefit from hearing other people's lived experiences, especially through their mental health and that kind of journey as well. So I'm really excited to dive deep and get to find out more about you. Um, do you want to just introduce yourself to to the podcast, who you are, where you're from, what you do, and then I guess we can start talking about um, your blog post, The Bipolar Diaries as well. Yeah, sure. So my name is Anastasia McLean. I'm 26 and I grew up on the North Shore. Uh, I've worked in advertising. I'm a digital producer and I recently started a blog. Um, basically I started it because, uh, during COVID I had quit my job to move to London. So I was kind of, you know, I'm in isolation here in Sydney as I didn't get to go. So it was a great time for me to start it and was something I was always really passionate about writing and things like that. So yeah, basically came out of there. Mm, Yeah. Let's talk about that because I'm sure you had, it was something that was like on the back of your mind, probably like, oh, I'd really like to start a blog post one day and maybe like share my stories. And you had this now, I guess some people would see it as like, I don't, you know, it's not the best situation to lose your job and then have to sit here or not lose your job. You quit. And then you have to (laughs) go to London. But then also you saw an opportunity with it. So did you feel like a sense of fear before kind of starting this blog? And like, what was the process of launching that whole thing? I mean, this sounds so ridiculous. Like, I can't believe I'm even saying this out loud. (laughs) But (laughs) the biggest fear I always have whenever, because I posted about my mental health one time before this. And that was like a couple of years ago when there was a movement called the Heart of My Sleeve um, movement. And I posted about having mental illness, but I didn't talk about bipolar. So, um, you know, I've always wanted to be out there speaking about it. 
and this is going to sound so superficial, like, oh my God, but um, the one thing that really keeps me from posting it is basically like relationships, but even not even being in one, it's just more like how are men going to view me, which is super shallow, super ridiculous that that would be a thought, but it is a big fear of mine. You know, am I going to be looked as like some crazy girl that no one wants to date um, or something like that? Because I have a really great support network of family and friends so that wasn't you know really an issue for me and places that I've worked they know I have bipolar I'm really open about it I'm pretty crazy and authentic at work so that every other aspect of my life I felt no fear in launching it everyone was already really aware it's literally just people that you know just men or just like people that I'm acquaintances with from afar I was just always worried about how they might view me so that was probably my biggest worry, especially like, you know, the guy that I'm like texting at the moment that, you know, I'm flirting with. And then the next minute he sees my Insta story of like, ha I'm fucking crazy. <laughs> like, and he's like, okay, shit. <laughs> you know? So that was kind of my only fear. Otherwise I was really like, I'm going to do this. I don't care. Like, you know, I'm the type of person that I get really, um, you know, worked up about things and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so scared. And then I do that kind of, fake like I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks and I just do it even though I'm shitting myself inside I just act like I don't care and it always seems to work for me it always seems to you pull it off for sure and I can actually so relate to that because when I first started my business I was in a relationship and I really took it for granted I didn't think about putting myself out there I was just kind of like yeah like I would speak about vulnerable things around like my disordered eating and my body image and all of those kinds of things but And yes, it felt scary to put myself out there, but I kind of had this person that was like my cheerleader. And then I noticed quite a massive shift when I broke up with this person earlier on this year of feeling really exposed all of a sudden, even though I was putting all of this stuff on my podcast and on social media and talking about it, I really noticed, and I don't know, maybe this like, cause if you're, are you single currently or just like, Yes. To people, but single, single yeah. living with my parents, exactly. <laughs> living, living the dream. Like, like this is the time to do it. Right. But I really noticed a shift in the way that I communicated my, I guess, experiences and my journey as well, because I guess I felt like I was worried more that you feel more alone, not alone, but I guess more isolated. Like you're like, this is yeah. me. And it's almost like you don't have someone to like go back to or to feel protected. And I feel, yeah. especially as women, we really have this desire to like, please, and to make people feel comfortable and to make sure that we don't say the wrong thing. And that really comes up in relationships, especially like in the early days. And something that I found as well as I'm now dating, it's like people will know so much more about me than I know about them. And then that mm. can kind of give them almost like an unfair advantage. So that definitely plays a big role. And I don't think it's shallow at all to be really aware of that and to think about the, like what people know about you and to have that kind of in the back of your mind, because of course it's going to play a role, but then it also, in my opinion, weeds out the people that can't handle that anyway, you know, to feel that sense of rejection, but then also like, you're not someone I want to engage with anyway. Yeah. That's what I always have to remember. Like when I think about things like that and my sister gives the best advice and she always just says to me like why would you want to be with someone like that anyway that those people that are judging you and that are like you know thinking you're crazy and don't want to date you whatever why would you want to be with someone like that they're not meant to be in your lives and so I have to keep remembering that but there's always that part of you that's like oh my god what if it's no one wants to be because of this but yeah I'll be forever alone yeah but I feel more like I definitely 
feel, cause I'm someone that like, I have a really hard time lying to people. So I instantly just like let all my stuff out on the page so that no one, I'm not being fake. And so I guess it's just for me, it's like that. It's me just showing you that like, this is everything of who I am. Like, I'm not lying to you. This is upfront. So I'm not, cause I've been in relationships in the past where I didn't even realize they had really big issues and they would break up with me and say like, I would never have dated you if I knew that you had like an eating disorder, you know, and like, as if I had lied to them about my life and it's like, I don't want to ever get caught in that again. Cause that was traumatic to have gone through. Like, you know, who wants to feel like they've tricked someone when you haven't actually tried to trick them into anything. So I guess that's the way I have to like live like through that life is just being really authentic and really true to myself. Otherwise I'd feel sick. <laughs> mm, oh my God. I'm exactly the same. I can't lie for shit. And I yeah. am, if, even when I start dating someone, I'm so just like, here are all my secrets. Like, let's be really vulnerable. Let's have these really deep conversations. And like, yeah, sometimes that can be really overwhelming for people. But then exactly like your sister said, they can't meet you where you're at anyway. And then they're not someone that you really want to have in your life. Cause otherwise you're going to find yourself always playing really small. And something I always remind myself, whether it be, you know, maybe I talk to a client and they stop working with me or I'm dating someone and they stop talking to me. I just always remind myself that like the universe truly is abundant and that there will always be more people, right? There's like 8 billion people in the world. And so I just always have to come back to that reminding myself of like, there's always more, you know, there's always more Yeah, is really helpful as well. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I definitely come to learn that a lot more with men, especially I find it I I don't know what it is, but just like looking back on my relationships, I've always, I've never felt like I'll never end up with anyone. I like, I always feel like there will be someone. It's just more like, is it always going to be like, is it going to be the right person? Am I just settling kind of thing? Like just because of my bipolar that came out really bad. Like that's actually the worst thing to say about something. You'll notice with my bipolar, I super contradict, like all my thoughts contradict each other (laughs) with what I'm saying. But yeah, it just, it, I don't know. I just, I always feel like there will always be someone there because yeah, there are so many people in the world. It's just whether that like, I'm just kind of settling down because I'm so scared that I won't find the right person. If that makes sense. Mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think the best thing that we can do is to be continually learning about ourselves so that we can continually show up as our most authentic selves. And that will mean that some people will come into our lives for a certain period of time and then they'll naturally fade out as well as we learn a new part of ourselves. And that's not to say that we're like better or worse or they're a better person or a worse person or anything like that. But sometimes people truly do come into your life to like serve a purpose and it's so okay to like let go of them and move on to the next thing. But I think that's, and I'm sure you've found this even through writing your blog post, do you feel like you've been able to discover more things about yourself and to maybe even feel more authentic? I get, I think so. I mean, I feel like I was, I've always been pretty like self-aware of who I am in a, like to a fault almost. Like I'm really critical and like, but then I can also be super fucking arrogant and like, <laughs> you know, I know like I just know myself kind of inside and out, but then I always feel like that every year I'm also changing a lot as a person and every year I just comes around, I always kind of notice it. And I think, yeah, just doing the blog, I think doing the blog made me realize how much of my past experience really shaped me. I always thought that, you know, my bipolar was a big part of that shaped me, which I still think that is. But I also think that a lot of my past is what has shaped me because I do think I've been through a lot. And I think just all those things put together, I never realized how much of it made me into the person that I am. 
Mm, yeah, because I feel like with writing, I mean, I write mainly like Instagram captions and I do the podcast, but even through that having to like explore where my beliefs have come from and what I think and my habits and all of that has given me almost like a portal into my past. And I remember little things that I'm like, Oh, no wonder I think that. And like this memory obviously leads to why I do the things that I do today. And I feel like you only really get that when you give yourself the reflection and the time to writing it and all of that. Um, So I'd love to know, can you define bipolar for us? That would be really helpful. And then maybe also talking about your journey of, discovering, you know, having this mental illness and all of the experiences that kind of have led to where you are today and just kind of give us a little bit of a rundown. Yeah, for sure. So there's two different types of bipolar. There's bipolar one and bipolar two. So I'm bipolar two. Uh, It's a mild version of bipolar one. I'm not sure if you've ever seen like the TV show Homeland, Um, but there's the main character in it um, who's played by Claire Danes. She has bipolar one and basically uh, gosh, some of the symptoms would be, you know, you're really impulsive. You can spend a lot of money. Uh, you take really big risks. You talk really fast. Your thoughts are kind of just meshed into one. No one can really follow you what you're saying. Um, uh, you can be really aggressive, just really hyper, really emotional. Uh, normally women have like incredibly high sex drive and you know, the list goes on. And so I have a very, not a very mild version of that, but just, yeah, a mild version of bipolar one. So it was really hard to be diagnosed because, you know, it was mixed between like, maybe I'm just, I have really bad anxiety. Maybe I just have really bad depression. Maybe I'm just really overly confident. No one could really define what I was. Um, So that's basically kind of like a small rundown of what bipolar is. And basically I never thought I had bipolar ever. Like that wasn't even on my list of things that I would have until one day it just got to the point when I was 20, it was just so bad. It just, I couldn't go on with, you know, I had to quit uni. I was a mess every day and I was never someone that just wanted to like sit in my room and never come out. I always wanted to get better because I knew something was wrong with me a hundred percent. Like I knew my whole life that I was different and I couldn't figure out why. And I hate, it was almost just like the way I thought I hated the way I thought. And I, Mm. it pissed me off that I couldn't figure out why I thought those things because I felt like I was just being, you know, pathetic or, you know, there's people dying in the world and I'm thinking these things like what's wrong with me. And And I, but I couldn't turn it off. And so finally, um, uh, I was recommended to go to a psychiatrist, which I'd been to one before, but I was in nine. I did, it didn't really work out. So I went to one and she diagnosed me within 45 minutes that I had bipolar two. She did a quiz. And, um, by the end of it, she said to, I brought my sister with me. She said to me, you know, what do you think I'm doing this quiz for? And I was like, I don't know. Like, and my sister looked at her and said, you're trying to diagnose her with something. And she was like, yes, you have bipolar too. And I just burst into tears. I was, you know, in my mind, I was like, these people are crazy. I know people that have bipolar or who claim to have bipolar. Um, and you know, people look at them like they're crazy. You know, I can't be that. Um, and she sent me home and just told me to read a whole bunch of stuff. And I did. And I, I'd never clicked with something so much Mm. in my life. I was just like, this is me. This is who I am. You know, I've never felt like myself more in that moment. 
Um, so that was the biggest change in my life for sure was being diagnosed bipolar. And I'm so grateful that I was diagnosed bipolar. I mean, I used to look at it like it was kind of like a big family secret. Like Anna has bipolar. Like I would tell one friend, you know, don't tell anyone, but I have bipolar. And then now I'm just like, I'm, I don't think I would be like, I'm grateful I have it because it's made me a hundred percent the character that I am. And I do really appreciate that part of myself. So yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I feel like such a journey to go from getting the initial diagnosis of like, oh my God, I'm bipolar and all of the stigma that you probably felt was attached to it of, you know, these people that we've seen on TV or things that we've been told or led to believe to now finding, would you say that you find comfort in the label or how, how yeah, would you agree hundred percent. I find so, I feel like it sounds super weird, but I almost feel like special. <laughs> like, yeah. I just like, I love, I weirdly love that I have it. Um, something that really brings me comfort. And this is such an odd fucking, like you'll find that I'm really fucking weird, but like something that brings me comfort is like researching like celebrities that have bipolar because they're such like amazing people in the world and they do it. They have such like amazing creative gifts and you're like, Oh, I have that too. Like I'm like that person, you know, it makes you feel like, it just makes you feel like you're not alone and that even the most successful of people also have this illness, which I don't really see as an illness anymore to mm. myself. You know, obviously it has like, it does have its struggles a hundred percent. Like I've gone through some fucked up times, but I also see it as, you know, something that just makes me my amazing self. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I love that. And I feel like it, <laughs> It's just been a way for you to be like, have the permission to be yourself and also to just like, yeah, not feel like embarrassed about who you are and kind of to just be like, oh, well, this is, this is why I am the way that I am and helps you to really like shine, which is such a relief almost to just be like, oh, okay. There are other people that are out there because at the end of the day, feeling like misunderstood and feeling really isolated is two of like the worst feelings and really holds you back. And I talk about this a lot on the podcast of like, if we think back to tribal times, one of the worst things that could ever possibly happen is that you're exiled from community because then you, it, you know, you don't get shelter and it's hard to find food and you don't have that sense of like belonging and blah, blah, blah. So to have something else to be like, yes, this is me. And it's okay to be like that must just be such a relief. But I know from reading your blog post that it wasn't like to, and you mentioned before, it wasn't like such an easy journey to find that. And you went through like a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists. And this is something that actually a lot of my clients and friends and even family members talk to me about like, Oh, you know, I met a psychologist and they, we didn't really vibe. And then I felt like I kept going back and it, it was a waste of money and I don't know what to do. And so I'd love to hear from your perspective and some advice from you of like, how do you keep pushing forwards to keep finding advice and to keep wanting to figure out what's going on with yourself with with you yeah yeah Yeah, this is something that I'm super passionate about my mum and I especially like we have an aim to try and like just change some I guess I don't know if it's like laws or something in Australia but there's a lot of things within the um you know medical community with in terms of mental health that I feel really strongly about so firstly um you know as I said, I've gone to a lot of psychiatrists, a lot of psychologists, and I've had times where I've wanted to give up. And I've said to my mum, you know, this is the last time I'm going to a psychiatrist, the last time I'm going to a psychologist. And then something might happen, it would get a bit better. And then it would, you know, would repeat the cycle. Mm. Um, Something that I strongly disagree with is GPs giving out medication. Mm. Um, 
it's not their area of expertise and they, you know, if you, I can't think of the best way to explain it without sounding really controversial, but you know, if you were, if you had like a skin cancer mole on you, you know, you would go to a specialist to get it removed kind of thing. Like that's what you would go to someone who has that expert knowledge. Um, and I feel like a GP, you know, GPs are meant to recommend them. So I've been on two different types of antidepressants from a GP and I love my GP. Like she's amazing, but you know, and she was just doing her job, but I went into a really bad depths of depression because people with bipolar, if they take antidepressants by itself, they, it makes them depressed, which Mm. I didn't know I had bipolar and she didn't know that. And yeah, so she gave me these um, two different types of antidepressants within like, this is over a span of a few years and they obviously didn't work. So that obviously makes someone else feel like this is never going to work. You know, Mm. she also only told me to take, you know, one tablet that was, I think like 50 grams or something like that. And you're meant to um, keep going up in your medication to find when it suits, like what makes you feel right. And then you stop, Um, which obviously she didn't tell me to do. So that already, I feel like gives people, you know, it makes people feel like this isn't going to work. This isn't for me. I can't do this. And they give up right there. So that's my big thing is that GPs shouldn't prescribe that type of medication to you. They should recommend a psychiatrist and send you there. The other thing I have is that I've seen many psychologists and I think they're great. They're not for me long-term. Um, basically my psychologist that I was seeing at the time when I got diagnosed with bipolar two, didn't believe I had bipolar two. She was mm. like, really? Like that doesn't sound like you. Thank God I stuck with my psychiatrist. And I said, no, like I have this because she obviously was incorrect. I definitely have bipolar two. Um, so I obviously stopped seeing her, um, but she was really great. But, you know, they just, I think you just have to keep trying. And then eventually I also like outgrew my psychiatrist that diagnosed me. I didn't click with her anymore. I was kind of scared of her. I felt like she just wasn't for me. Um, and this is when I was going through my uh, diagnosis of PTSD and I found someone, I was recommended to someone by, I was doing some sleep trials and I was recommended to a man who deals with PTSD and bipolar and he worked out my medication together. He put me into five months of therapy. So I saw a psychologist for five months. Um, I didn't have, I couldn't have a job. I had to quit my job and it was full on. Like it was a lot. You come out every, like every Thursday I came out and I was in tears. My mom had to drive me home. I would sleep mm. for the rest of the day. Like it was really traumatic Uh, but so grateful I did it. It helped me realize a lot of things, but I don't personally see a psychologist anymore. I, it's just not for me. It was great for that time, but I don't need it at the moment. And I don't feel like you need to constantly be going to one because yeah, I got really, I would come home and I just couldn't, I couldn't Mm. face the day. You know, I had to really get over that and process it. So it's just not for me. Um, but definitely I think in that order is to be recommended by a GP, see a psychiatrist, work with them on your medication and, you know, they'll tell you to go up and down, up and down to see what's right. Just keep doing it, stick with it. Cause eventually you will find the right dose that's for you. And then if you need to see a psychologist, that's my best advice I can give. And don't feel guilty if you end up stop seeing a psychologist if you don't, mm. if it's not for you, you know, don't feel guilty about it. You've done what you've, you've tried to do what you need to do. And that's all that matters really. 
Absolutely. And just like we were saying before with relationships as well, like they can serve a purpose and then it's okay to let go of something like just because someone or something worked for a while doesn't mean that you need to hold on to it. And I think sometimes we cling onto things for a sense of security or comfort, but then that can actually hold us back. Or in your case, it becomes incredibly energy draining and it just like, isn't serving you anymore. So I think it's really important. And I think as well, like in, in our society, there's this idea that if we give up on something that we're kind of being really flippant or we're, we don't have like the, um, the like ability to move forwards with it. But if something isn't serving you, then it's okay to like, let go of it. And knowing that if you need to go back to it, you always can. And just to keep trying. And I think for you, like what I hear as well, a lot of people like, oh, but maybe I'm just not coping or maybe I'm just being like too, I don't know, too weak or something like that. So what would you say to someone who's like considering going to a GP, but they're not sure if they're like bad enough or do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think this is my, lately I've been saying this a lot. No one's, I don't even know how to word it properly, but basically like no one's problems are kind of like worse than another person's like don't ever compare your issues or your problems to someone else's because everyone's problems are like worthy of their feelings you know you should always you're never they're never less than anyone else's um just because you know you think you might not feel like oh but I'm not you know suicidal or I'm not this doesn't mean like you can still go like it's you know I haven't always I've had times where I've felt suicidal and then I've had times where like I wasn't suicidal at all but I was really I couldn't cope with the day like I I didn't want to die but I could not walk outside my room I just wanted to Mm. sleep forever doesn't mean that I still shouldn't go and try and see and like if you're at a point where there's no other you don't think there's any other avenue for you then like what's the harm in trying basically like there's there's nowhere else to go. If you feel like there's nowhere else to go, there's what's the harm in it? You know, only good can come from it really. So that's probably, I guess the best way I would, I would say it is. Yeah. Yeah. What have you got to lose? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that if you're in that place and you haven't gone to speak to like your GP or your psychiatrist that, and you feel like there's nothing else to do, like that is always an option. Always. An yeah. hundred percent. I agree. Yeah. And can you describe to us maybe a little bit of like what it was like before you found this psychiatrist and then how you're feeling now? And like, obviously now you've got a job and you're thinking of moving to London or you are going to move to London and, you know, you've kind of like, I guess, living quite a high functioning life. Yeah. So I'm really naughty and I don't see my psychiatrist anymore, which is really bad. You know, they tell you, you always should check in every like six months or so. I have not, um, which is not, that's not good, but I... I don't know what it is about me. Like I go through phases with different psychologists, psychiatrists, but I'm really happy at the moment. Um, I also see that part of my life. It felt really like kind of, I guess, not damaged, but it reminded me of that time in my life. And so I find it really hard to go back there. Um, But at the moment, you know, things, yeah, things are great. I have I'm able to function in the real world, as people would say. Um, I have very limited like times where I'm crying or upset and I don't know, things just different. Like I just feel like I'm, I don't want to say normal because I fucking hate that word, but I feel, you know, normal, I guess. Like a um, human being. Yeah. <laughs> but it's hard because like I, like for example, my next blog that's coming out tomorrow is about my weekend. Um, it was my birthday on the weekend and it was like one of the roughest weekends ever. And like, mm-hmm. it put me into up until pretty much today, I was in the worst depression ever. And I haven't been like that for over two years, maybe a year and a half, you know, like, so 
I get really upset when I feel like I hit those because I think like, no, I'm normal now. There can't be anything wrong with me. Like I'm really, I'm, as you said, like I'm high functioning. I'm, I'm moving to London. Like I can't be having a breakdown. Like what the fuck? Um, so that's something I'm writing about tomorrow. Cause yeah, it's really upsetting and it's really hard to think that I'm still having these, you know, breakdowns after being okay for a year and a two years. But I think something that we also forget is like, even people that don't have any mental health issues, they break down sometimes, you know, I've been running at full speed for, I don't know how long now. And like, I, this was, it was bound to happen. You know what I mean? I haven't stopped. I've just been going at it. And I think we forget that sometimes when I, if I'm crying, when I was basically a couple of years ago, when I first was diagnosed, if I would cry, my mom would be like, is your medication okay? Mm. And it would really get to me because I'm just like, why does it always have to be like, it's the bipolar, you know? And my family and I also had to learn that I'm allowed to cry because that's a normal human response to things, you know? It's not always going to be about your bipolar. It's not always going to be about your depression or your whatever. It's not because your medication's not leveled. Sometimes like you just actually are a human and you need to get your emotions out because something fucked up happened. You know what I mean? Like, so I think over the weekend with me getting upset and stuff, it really put me into a spin of kind of like, Oh my God, am I weak again or whatever? But I have to remind myself, like I just speak my own language that like people with bipolar aren't weak. We're strong as fuck. And I had a setback for a weekend. I had a breakdown, but I'm still that like really badass, like high functioning, you know, girl that just kicks ass. So, you know, I've got to remember all that. Mm, hell yeah and firstly happy birthday to our oh, gemini queen six. <laughs> welcome um and secondly yeah you're exactly so right like every single person is going to have breakdowns no matter what um our situation is or where we live or how much money we're earning or our relationship status or anything like that we will always have breakdowns we'll always have emotions and i think one of the hardest things with depression is that it makes you feel like it's going to last forever like as if you're never yeah. going to get back to it and it's so important to have like your support network around you and to constantly be reminding yourself that like it truly, nothing lasts forever. It like Mm. truly, truly doesn't. And it can be really, really hard to believe that in the moment, but just knowing, yeah, that like you're not, and you're also not going backwards for having that feeling. Sometimes we can really feel like, oh, well, if this is happening to me, then like, can, you know, can I move to London and can I do this? And how did I ever do this? And it's just like bringing yourself back down to reality like that's what my psychologist always says to me because I'll like spiral out of control and I'm like well what if this is going to happen and what if this is going to happen and she's just like remind yourself of like what is real and what the facts are and then yeah. just go from there as well instead of yeah because it is really easy to get into that spiral but yeah I'm glad you're feeling like you're I mean and that's the thing because we do have these experiences right and we feel like oh I've overcome it and I'm so much stronger on the other side and then it's like if we fall back down into that spiral we feel like we've gone backwards but the truth of the matter is is that we never can go backwards we're always progressing because it's literally impossible to go backwards yeah and I felt like I had to I definitely had to write about it because mm. I think with the blog like so far all of my posts have been about what I've overcome and like I've always ended them with like how you know, amazing I feel now and how successful I am and whatever. But like in reality, I would be lying if it's like, oh, I bet I, I don't have these breakdowns anymore kind of thing. And like, that's not going to make, that's not going to help people who have bipolar out there looking at someone that also has it, but makes it out to be like, oh, I'm completely fine now. You know, that's not the truth. So I definitely had to write about it. And I'm, I'm scared because like, it's embarrassing that, you know, 
over the weekend, everyone saw these Instagrams, my birthday, and I was actually like vomiting in the corner, crying mm. part of it. Um, so it, that's going to be embarrassing. But, you know, it's like, it's the reality of, you know, what it was. And I have to let people know that. Otherwise, I'm just like a fraud for, you know, my blog doesn't make any sense then. <laughs> mm. It's just real. Like, it's so real. And of course, you're only going to take, like, of course, you're not going to take photos of yourself being in like a <laughs> held up fetus position ball. You know what I mean? But like, to be yeah. able to then reflect on it and be like, and I think also there's like a level of you needing to go through it and just like, under, like, let yourself be in the thing and then be able to reflect on it afterwards and then kind of share yeah. it as well. Yeah. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. I had and, the past yeah. few days to do that. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And so you should, you know, so you should. Um, and I don't think it makes you a fraud either. Like I think a fraud is someone that's trying to um, purposely deceive people and you're mm. speaking about your experiences from a really authentic place. And when you have like something that feels like you have, you know, had a lower time and then you're able to speak about it truthfully, I think that is really important and really yeah, in- inspiring for lack of a better word. Mm. Um, and it's always going to be an ongoing process as well. Like I think sometimes with my own personal journey, people might look at me and be like, Oh, she's always confident and she loves her body. And you know, she's so good around food or whatever it is. And the truth of the matter is as well, that like sometimes I'll have days where I don't like what I'm wearing or I'll put something on and they don't fit me anymore. And yes, I have all of the tools to be able to like intellectually be like, it's fine. Like I like my body and I still get to be content and all of these things that I talk about on my podcast, but that doesn't mean that I'm suddenly immune to having those emotions because something that I always speak about and something that's a really Gemini thing as well as seeing things from all sides of the spectrum as well. And without knowing like what it feels like to be depressed or to feel insecure or to have all of those low emotions. And we also aren't going to really understand what it feels like to be confident and content and happy as well. Um, And something you spoke about in your blog post was your body image, which I wanted to bring up. And I love the quote where you spoke about, well, the, I mean, the whole experience is pretty shitty and like (laughs) girls can recognize, like can um, resonate with this experience too, but the experience of being called a whale, which you then describe in the blog post of pretty fucking delicious is a whale. (laughs) However, I can only imagine how traumatic that would have been to be have called a whale in front of people in a group of, you know, wherever you're at a party or something like that. Yeah. Oh, it's multiple times, but yeah, one of them was at a party. Um, and yeah, like, do you know what's really interesting is that at the time it did not affect me. Like, mm-hmm. and it was looking back, I'm like, that was some fucked up shit. Like, yeah. and it just didn't, it didn't even like process to me that I was, that I, that I even had a bad body. Like, it, like even though I didn't go swimming because I felt like all the girls were skinnier, I wasn't like, wow, I'm really fat or anything like mm-hmm. that. I just was like, yeah. And even as like the, the couple years later, like after all that, I still was like, I was so fucking arrogant. I was like, fuck, I'm hot. Like, and like, I show you, I was not that great. Like it was just, I had the best confidence and I don't even know where it came from. And it wasn't until I actually started to lose weight uh, in year 12, because I was so stressed out at the A to C, I was doing a shit ton of netball. Like I was just like, it was just like natural weight fell off. People started to be like, Oh my God, you're so skinny. Wow. You look amazing. That's when I was like, mm-hmm. that's when it kicked. I was like, I cannot put on any weight because Oh my God, people are going to be like, you're fat now. Like, and people just kept complimenting me and like, yeah. And it like, it's such, it feeds you. You're just like, I can't, gain a single pound because I'm just like, I can't do it. Um, and that's where it just like unraveled. But before that I was completely fine. I absolutely loved my, like, well, I didn't love my body, but I didn't think there was an issue with it. Like I didn't 
you know, go to lengths to, I didn't starve myself. I had pizza like three times a week. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was unhealthy, that's for sure. But I didn't, yeah, I didn't see a problem with it. And since putting out the blog there, like guys who um, did do that when I was younger, like torment me, they have messaged me like with the most amazing apologies. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that's the, the one of the ways I got over it eventually through my therapy was I, you know, they were so young and mm-hmm. I don't even think they realized what they were saying. Um, but I guess it's for me, it's always like, why have I always been picked on for my weight? Mm. I wasn't huge. Um, I, you know, I, I didn't understand it. Like then I had an ex-boyfriend say that he dumped me because I was fat. And then it just was like, why? Like, what have I done? Like I see all these other girls that I'm friends with who are the same size as me and not a word about their weight. And thank God, like, I'm glad they didn't go through what I went through, but I just don't understand why it was me. Um, and I still don't know. I, I feel like sometimes it's like, because I was so loud, I mm. it sounds super weird, but I feel like because I was so confident, people were almost like annoyed that my confidence didn't match my body. Like I meant to be shy and quiet because I'm not super skinny or something like mm. that. Like I can only be confident if I look like a Victoria's Secret angel. That's the only way I see it because otherwise I just don't know. I don't understand. Yeah, I think you're so right in saying that because when you are so yourself and you shine bright and you just are loud and funny and whatever you do, you, you do you, that can make some people feel so unconfident because they they can't match that level. And so sometimes a really easy way to bring someone back down or to bring them beneath you is to just make a comment on on their physical form because it's it's so like it, it can be detached from your confidence almost in a way and to just kind of like call you back in line and like, Oh, well you look this way. So you shouldn't exactly what you said. Like, I think that's really true. And I, I'd love to know, like, even though you, you were confident in that moment, do you feel like you could, because I know from, from my clients, people still get called names or maybe they get comments from their family. What would your advice kind of be to people that feel like they are in the firing line of those sorts of comments? Mm, I, that's a tough one because like looking back on it, it all still has like, it has affected me more now than it mm. did back then. Like every day I'm still like, you know, I, I'm, as you said before, I'm like content with my body and I'm fine with food and everything like that. But every single day I'm like, what am I eating? Like, when am I going to exercise? You know, it's all about like every day I think about my body. Mm. Um, but in terms of, I guess advice is it would have to be just like really think about why that person's saying that, you know, I think that was the best thing I could think of is like, I felt like the reason those boys said that to me was because they were young and immature and stupid and they were trying to think of anything to pick on kind of thing. And also, you know, an ex-boyfriend, I mean, even if this wasn't the case, the best way it made me feel about it was like, I just thought he was like jealous or something like Mm. that, you know, because I was really confident and I was really, as soon as we broke up, I was, you know, hanging out with his friends still. I was like onto the next boy kind of thing. So that was the only way I could really get over it is to just really think about like, why are these people saying these things? And it's usually because they are just immature or they're just really like miserable with parts of themselves. Like it's never or actually about you as a person because like really think about it. Like who would actually say that to someone? Mm. So no yeah, who says that if you, if you're someone that is happy within yourself, you you don't feel the need, you don't feel threatened no. by someone else that's confident within themselves either. Exactly. So 
Yeah, it's never personal. It is never personal. And people do not care what you actually look like. They just want, they care about how they feel. And so their actions are always a reflection of that. Exactly. And so that's just the only way I can think of it is that just always think about why they're saying it. It's like, what is it about them that's why they're saying it? Because I just, 100%, it's not personal. It's nothing to do with you. It's usually always to do with themselves. Mm, that's mm -hmm. the best advice I could give on that one (laughs) absolutely that's incredible advice um so the last kind of thing that I wanted to talk about which I again love reading on your blog post as you can tell I've been an avid reader was was having sex or just sex in general sexuality and just being confident in your body because if we're talking about body confidence that is really where a lot of the I guess insecurity stems from but even deeper than that you were talking about um, just being confident in being a woman that wants to have sex. And I don't, you were saying before that like that can be a, would we say a symptom of having bipolar, like a high sex drive, but I think having these conversations to like normalize it, especially as women, because we know that there's still the stereotype of like, well, men can sleep with whoever they want. There's no real consequences. But then if women are too outwardly sexual or they're too just love sex more than it makes them like a slut or any of these kinds of like negative um, associations that we have with it. So tell us how you got like more comfortable with it and why you feel like being open about your sexuality and just loving sex is so important to you. Yeah. So I have grown up in a really conservative family. Um, Mm. You know, sex was, it just wasn't, you know, my mum was taught from her mum, like just lie back and think of England. Like it wasn't a thing to talk (laughs) about at all. And so, um, yeah, I remember like, you know, masturbating. I thought I was like, sinning <laughs> just, yeah and I'm not really just like you know my parents are and I was just like oh my god I'm I'm sinning I'm gonna get grounded you know it was just the worst and then like I remember boys like you'd go to gatherings they'd be like oh my god girls masturbate and I'd be like no we don't like uh and I was like of course I fucking do um but yeah I just I guess it was really weird as I got older my mom my sister and I would go on like little girl vacays together and we would end up talking about sex and I just like thank God because of my bipolar, I would just like, I blurted it out. And I was just like, I like this. I like that. Mum was like, Oh my God. (laughs) Like, you know? Um, And then eventually it just became a lot easier. I just like kind of broke the awkwardness between, especially like my sister and I, and I just like told her like, you know, what I enjoy watching on like the porn, like, you know? Um, And then I think the hardest thing was like the, I would go out and, I would call my mom being like, I'm staying at someone's house. And she'd be like, fuck, like you're going to die. I think that was really hard for her because I really enjoyed, you know, going home with a guy and like sleeping with them. And to me, it's nothing. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. even think, you know how like every movie that depicts a girl that she's like falling in love with the guy that she sleeps with. No, I can like come home and like put that shit behind me instantly. It's like not even a thought in the back of my mind. Um, And then that can also be hard with like relationships. Like, a guy that I do like and I, you know, want to date, I sleep with him on the first day because, you know, mm. I'm horny and I, that's what I want to fucking do. But then that's, he sees me as like, you know, oh, she's a bit of a slut. <laughs> Why would I want to introduce to my mom? Um, no, but, you know, just things like that um, I found really difficult. So, but my family's gotten a lot better with it. My mom has come to really understand it a lot better. I, my dad was not allowed to read that blog post. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> we, made it, we made it clear in the family. We were like, do not read that blog post. That one's off limits. So he hasn't read that, but my, my whole family's read it besides him. And like, they're really understanding um, about it and everything. But yeah, it's hard as a woman because 
especially as a woman with bipolar, but for just for women in general, like we do enjoy sex. And I just don't think men or even just some women who like don't enjoy it as much. I just don't think they can understand it, which is just like there's things that I can't understand about other people, but it's hard because yeah, I, I don't even know how to explain it sometimes because it's just what I enjoy doing. And I hate to be seen as, you know, a slutty person, but if that's what I need to be seen as, then like, I don't give a fuck because, you know, sex is sex. It's not hurting anyone. Um, but yeah. Mm. And I like, I love talking about this. I talk about it with my friends all the time. I'm super open. And like my family, we are not, they don't, we don't outwardly talk about sex, but like, I've always just been able to like, you know, have my boyfriends over or talk about who I'm dating or anything like that. So I feel incredibly lucky to have had such an open family. And now I just talk about it as if it's really normal, but in the same aspect, it's like, we are often so ashamed for doing something that feels fun or that feels pleasurable. And it's like, when you start to feel ashamed of something, it really makes your personality dull, especially when you feel like it's something that you really value, essentially, like it's a part of who you are. And so I think having these conversations and giving women like the permission to Mm. own that part of themselves so that they can be more fully themselves and so that you can show up in relationships and Mm. ask for what you want and then just take what you want too. And I just think that it's such a huge part of body confidence and of being a woman and of us like really reclaiming, I guess, our femininity and doing it for ourselves. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the thing is like what I did mention in my blog is like sleeping with men that don't know me. Oh my God. It's like my favorite thing in the world because you know, I should like be shooting a fucking porno. Like it look, I'm like, I like where are the lights, where's the camera? Because I'm like confident. I'm like doing different positions. Like I don't care what my body looks like. Cause I'm like, I don't know if I'll see this person again. I don't really care what they think of me. They have no preconceived ideas about me, no judgments of me compared to a guy that, you know, I've known for a couple of years. He's seen my Instagram. He's seen my good angles. He thinks that's what my body looks like. <laughs> And then Worst like, nightmare. We, get bed, we get into bed and I'm literally like the only thought, like if I, I'm on top or something, I'm literally like, oh my God, he thinks I've lied to him about what my body looks like. You know what I mean? Like he's now realizing this is what I actually look like and not like on Instagram. And so I can't have fun. <laughs> you know, you're just like freaking out the whole time. Cause I'm like, is he going to tell all our friends? Like, is he going to, you know, makes me feel like shit. So like, of course I prefer casual sex. Cause it's just like, you don't have to think about anything. It's so much better. Yeah, I can actually so resonate with what you're saying as well. Like it's when someone has no preconceived ideas of you, you can just like be a new person. Like you can just form an identity for the night or even like sometimes I'll do this really weird thing, which is unrelated to sex, but kind of similar of what you were talking about where like I'll get really embarrassed about talking on my Instagram or even talking on my podcast when I'm in the house, my housemates are around versus I'm then sharing all of my information all over social media. And it's just like so weird, I guess, because you can't like, I guess firstly, because I'm directly choosing to share it on there. But then secondly, like it feels so different when it's someone that like knows you all the time and sees you all the time and is like directly in your energy and you're not like deciding to see what they get to see. Um, But yeah, I mean, for me, like I, and, and even like, you know, sleeping with someone that you really care about or that you really like, it can be super overwhelming as well. So I can totally understand like the desire to just like have sex and like that can be incredibly empowering if you choose it to be. And if you can be really detached from the outcome, which is why I would say having casual sex can be empowering, but it has to come from a place of like, you don't care what the outcome is. Yeah. You have to not care. Otherwise, like you'd feel like shit. Like you just feel like, you know, when you've like had sex with someone that like for some reason you've left it feeling really dirty 
I feel like if you just, yeah, that's how you'd probably end up feeling, which is like not the best feeling at all. But um, yeah, I think that that's a, you've got to like choose it for yourself for sure. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to, I feel like as well, if you're going to have sex with someone, you have to do it without needing an outcome. Like you have to enter yes. without needing an outcome because if you're entering it and you know that they're not really interested, but you're like, well, maybe I'll have sex with them and then something will happen. Yes. Girl, no, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> you, are, you are signing yourself up for some shit. Oh my God. Like, don't all don't go into that bedroom thinking something's <laughs> going to happen from it. If it ain't like you be honest with yourself and have some restraint. If that, if you know that you're going to sleep with that person and you're going to catch feelings, ask yourself, will you be okay if they reject you? And if not, do not Don't enter the bedroom. Yeah. Oh my God. We've all been there. I've done it hundred percent. I'm like, maybe my slept would be like me. <laughs> Have we not? We're like, oh my God, he's so cool. Like, <laughs> he'll definitely like me. Like I'll change him. No, no, it, and no one's, no one's changing for anyone. <laughs> Just literally. Yeah. It's hard enough to change yourself, let alone yeah. trying to change another human being. Impossible. Exactly. Oh, preaching to the choir. Preaching to the choir. <laughs> Amen. And then secondly, you know, the attitude that I always have is that if anyone, and this is actually what she says in Eat, Pray, Love, which is one of my favorite books and movies for anyone that would like to know. Um, she's like, anyone that gets to see you naked is literally so freaking lucky. Who cares if I sit over and I've got rolls or I've got cellulite? Like it is literally the best day of your life right now if you get to see me naked. And that's just the attitude. I mean, I've obviously that's worked such a good really attitude to hard to create that, but now I'm just like, this is yeah. me. This is it. This is what you get. Like, it's not going to get much better than that. Yeah. I dated someone that like, he wasn't necessarily like the fittest of people and had like pretty much the same roles that I have. And he, he like sat around with so much fucking confidence. I was so jealous. I was literally like where I would like try to get out of bed, like limping up, like in the most <laughs> straightest way possible. So my roles wouldn't show. And he was just like letting it all hang out. And I was like, fuck, that's cool. Like, it's attractive like as well, isn't it's it? Hot. Like, even though you feel like, oh, I couldn't possibly, but then that person is just owning it and they're not, they're not like waiting for you to like validate them. They're just being no. really themselves. He and did that's not attractive. give a fuck. And I yeah. like, he let it all hang. And I was like, I love that. Yeah. Which is what cool. we should all do. Like I'm all yeah. about sitting over in the roles and, you know, just seeing my body in different angles. Like, I'm just like, I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Love it. Um, Okay. So I'm going to wrap things up. Obviously I can yeah. keep talking to you forever. <laughs> um, we, I always do like three questions as like rapid fire questions. So let's oh, get shit. started with that. And then we can talk about like where to find your blog post and all of that kind of thing. So the first okay. question is what's your favorite food? Donuts. Oh, I'm I've like been going through a donut obsession recently. Oh my God. I had a donut cake at my birthday on the weekend. I have like a really big thing for donuts. They're just mm. like any type of like doughy cake is just like, Oh, I love it the best where like where are the best donuts in sydney oh donut king oh <laughs> cinnamon <laughs> like or what? classic cinnamon like i like strawberry donuts but like classic cinnamon is just always the best yeah so good yum yeah. um what is something that you're working on improving within yourself at the moment uh just my dialogue my self-dialogue my inner dialogue sorry i just need to i think it's just always comes back to like my my weight and my body even though i'm you know, I'm not starving myself or anything like that. I need to just be happier. Like my clothing size has changed drastically within the past. You know, I've gone from a size bottom wise, I've gone from a size 10 to a size 14. And it's just like accepting that, you know, instead of being like, I'm going to fit back into a 12. It's like, I need to just accept it and move on. Mm. Oh, I can so relate to that. I used to be a straight size eight from literally year 12 until like five years out of school. And then now I'm like wearing a size 12 or 14. And I'm just like, 
Yeah. yeah. So I can totally relate to that. It can, it's always a bit like confronting and then you're just kind oh, of like, but so I want to feel comfortable. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm trying to convince myself it's because my body's getting ready for like birth or something. Birth, <laughs> yeah. the miracle of life. Yeah. 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 I'm like trying to convince them. Like it's just this way of doing it. hundred <laughs> percent. And like what's something I always say to my clients is like, yeah, you can try and fit into a size smaller, but you, then you're going to feel uncomfortable and people can vibe that, you know, versus yeah. if you wear a size bigger, no one knows what the size is. You feel yeah. uncomfortable. You're going to be more chill. And that's what you Yeah, want. for sure. Um, the last question is what does having a peaceful body mean to you? So on that note, oh, I guess. Fuck. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> that is a hard one. I'm it's like the worst hard. person to ask about this, even though I have so much confidence. I'm just like a peaceful body. Mm. Fuck, I don't know. First I thing that comes to mind. A peaceful body. Mm-hmm. Oh, mine's like a really superficial answer. Actually, no, it's not. I don't know. I'm actually really stuck on this question. <laughs> I would say like, I think the best thing about what I've learned is like fuel to the body. Mm. It's like your body needs fuel to, I don't even know if this is the right answer, but like, I think just, yeah, that's the best I can come up with. I'm like not in the right phase to be answering it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm still working on it. <laughs> Absolutely. And I love your honesty, but I do know what you mean because it's so hard to do all of this like mental work on yourself and to be accepting your body and to just live your life Mm. if you're not at a very basic level fueled. And I don't, I think so many people don't realize like if I just ate a little bit more, I would feel more confident. Like I would be able to put myself out there more. I would be able to like exercise and it's so basic, but it's often so overlooked like we often think well if I had a better body then I'd be more confident but like no you'd probably if you just ate a little bit more you'd have a little bit more energy and then you'd be able to think things more clearly and that's actually that is so true whenever I'm like my most depressed I'm not eating and it's like you need to be fueling that body it's like what gets you from a to b it needs to be so yeah that's probably my best piece of like yeah piece for the body is fueling it I'd say I love that (laughs) amazing um Okay. So where can we find your blog? I guess what's the website? Yes. So it's www.thebpdiaries.com. Um, I've also got a Facebook page called the BP diaries that you can follow. And that's where I post all my blogs. Um, I also post them on Instagram and I am trying to set up a Twitter. I know it sounds so old that I'm like not with Twitter yet, but like, I'm, oh, neither am I. I'm getting there. I'm like I trying to get on Twitter, but I feel I like that would be a good really thing. Hard. Tweeting yeah. is like really, it's foreign to me. I don't understand it. I know. Cause it's like a one sentence wonder. So I feel like there's so yeah. much pressure to, yeah. But it I think it'd be, be a good like thing amazing. for a blog post. Cause then you can have like, the, yeah, for sure. hundred yeah. percent. So yeah, that's basically every way you can see it is on my Instagram, Anastasia McLean on Facebook, the BP Diaries, and then www.thebpdiaries.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on and being so transparent and offering with all of your information. This was incredible and I've loved hearing all of your insights. So thank you. We will leave all of your details and how to find you and read the blog post in the show notes as well. Awesome. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much. I had so much fun. This was awesome.